It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rulebook, to explore smarter ways to work and rediscover what's possible. It's time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. I'm Brian Rowley, and this is The Big Rethink. Today's episode's all about agriculture, the needs of today's farmers, the impacts of technology, and the power of storytelling. Our guest, John Ebert, is a communication specialist, agricultural expert, and the current manager of Public and Industry Relations North America at John Deere. John, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Brian. And I'm really excited for our chat today as well. Yeah. So John Deere has had sort of an amazing year. I mean, at CES, you announced new products like the 8R Tractor and Sea and Spray Ultimate Software. So I have to be honest, I couldn't be more excited to, to sort of have a chance to talk to you today. But I think before we dive in, I'd love to share a little bit about your background um, and actually your role at Deere and, and sort of how you've gotten to where you are today. Uh, of course. Yeah, would be happy to. So, um, well, Brian, I actually grew up on a farm in, in the Midwest in Illinois. So farming has been, you know, in my veins or in my roots for, for a long time. Um, I've been at Deere for 13 years and primarily within the sales and marketing division. So working alongside John Deere dealers, as well as uh, with tractors and combines. And, and maybe the, 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 the fun part that we're going to talk about today is the work I've done around technology at Deere as well. So uh, which which led me to uh, this public and industry relations role where, uh, you know, the most ex exciting part about what I get to do is help tell the story of farmers and the story of technology and agriculture to a vast number of audiences. Yeah, I think I, 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 the fact that you grew up on a farm, I can only imagine that, you know, deer's been a part of your life since whatever, whatever that age is that you can remember, right? I'm sure as a kid, it must have been really exciting. But, you know, I, I, you know, you've you said 13 or 12, 12 or 13 years that you've been with with deer. Yeah, going on 13. Okay. So I, I know you've worked really hard to sort of steer the brand. Um, and, and, and it's, it's actually interesting because it's one similar to, to Panasonic that has an incredibly loyal following. Um, and I'm sure they've sort of followed and grown with the changes throughout the companies. I think it's, is it a hundred and hundred like 185, right? Is, is, yeah. is your longevity? I mean, that's, a, that's right. a long time to be in business, but so help me understand. I know you, you know, you're big on storytelling and, and sort of positioning Deere as a leader in the agricultural technology and innovation section. But talk to me a little bit about how you are using storytelling to do that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, right? Because you said it right as a as a 185 year old company, there's there's a perception, right, of, of a business that's been around that long. So we've got this historic, nostalgic part of the brand when folks think of John Deere. But then also when you think about the last three decades, what we've been doing in technology in making tractors drive themselves and putting cameras and sensors in them to more automate tasks on the farm, you, you really have this like, you know, almost utopia, I would say, of how you get to present the brand to folks that may have a certain perception of it. So what we do is we we step back and, and first and foremost, think about the audience that we're trying to educate and tease out the most important part of that story. Right. So, um, you know, Brian, if I walk into a grocery store in rural Illinois or Iowa and you ask somebody about John Deere, you're going to get get one answer. 
And then if you walk into a grocery store, maybe in San Francisco or New York and ask them if they know about John Deere, their, their perception or what they know of us could be different. So we've got this, this intersection of agriculture and technology that many folks across the US or the globe may not exactly know um, how tech savvy uh, Deere is and the great work that we're doing. So that's a story that we look at and say, how can we raise that level of awareness across multiple audiences? Well, and the part to that that I find fascinating is you wouldn't expect Deere to define themselves as a technology company, right? I mean, when you look at it, um, and technology in the sense, and I do want to get into this a little bit, because we all know Deere for the tractors and the things that it's doing. But when you talk about AI and autonomous tractors and, and vehicles and things like that, I'm not assuming that the bulk of our listeners would assume that that's something that has your focus. So, you know, as as we were preparing for this, you know, I had had, had done some research on this and, and even on the autonomous tractor, you know, when you were defining its purpose, you know, you defined it as the purpose of feeding the world. Now, I, I mean, I think that just pays credit to the amazing work that you're doing around storytelling, uh, because it, it does shift the narrative in regards to who you are as a company. But as we talk about that, how do you think sort of your background, I mean, you grew up, as you mentioned, on a farm. How do you think that has actually allowed or changed the way in which the deer story is told through your eyes? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great question. And, and I wouldn't say that just because my background is in farming that it gives a certain lens to how we tell that story. It is, it is a team effort, right? And I just have the pleasure of getting to be a part of a public relations team that is full of bright minds and, and technologists and engineers and, and all of the different roles at the company that uh, allow us to tell those great stories. So I have to give the credit back to, back to the other employees at Deere uh, that, that allow us to do this. Um, and so that's kind of first and foremost, where, where I think I can give a different or a perspective is my, my earliest memories of John Deere were on, you know, 50 year old tractors, uh, learning how to drive them at a very young age, right. And working with my, uh, my parents and my grandparents on doing jobs on the farm. So I've got a, a certain appreciation for the passion that farmers have, right. A, a farmer is, um, aware of many hats. Right. They're an accountant. They're a scientist. They're a caretaker for the land. And and they're not only just passionate about what they do to provide a living for their own family, but they're passionate about doing something more and bigger. Right. Because one farmer feeds uh, feeds many people. And, and that is a really important purpose. And and I think what's important in that is, you know, if you look at any company, right, whether you're a small startup or a company that's been around for decades, right, you always, uh, you know, what's what's your mission statement, right? You know, you put your mission statement together, your core values, but you said a word earlier uh, that really sticks out in its purpose. And and sometimes mission statements are are great from a business perspective. But when you think about the purpose of what your company is doing, you have to continue to dig a level or two deeper and take that purpose and make sure that it's not only widely known and understood to inspire employees internally, but then how you connect that to those different audiences that you're trying to educate and, and tell that story to externally. Purpose is what really is foundational, I think, in that part of how, how we approach it, as well as what helps be successful in, in telling these stories. 
Yeah, you you mentioned sort of growing up on the farm and learning to drive the tractor. I, I can only imagine from you know your generations that that precede you. I can't even think of what they must think of autonomy as it relates to a tractor. I mean, you know, that was kind of the big thing. You know, as a kid growing up, my family had cranberry bogs, and I can remember getting really excited to go there to drive the equipment. But now there's autonomous vehicles that are operating farms and all of those things. I mean, it has to, I mean, the perception in the agricultural space overall on how technology has impacted it, is it well-received? Is it, um, help me understand sort of that, that shift in what, what the, the growers um, around, the, around the world are thinking, are they embracing it or are they hesitant? I'm just curious what, that's, what that seems like. Yeah. So, you know, I would say like farmers are no different than, than anybody else, right? There's a, there's a group that accept change. There's, you know, there's probably a bell curve, right? Of, of the discussion. What's really interesting since we've launched the autonomous tractor and tillage tool at CES earlier this year is that the debate that was happening, uh, on, on social media was, was healthy debate, right? Of, where autonomy's place is on the farm. And that's encouraging and exciting, right? If you rewind over 20 years ago, the first time that we put auto track on a machine and auto track is what self drives it, right? So you can precisely um, do your tillage job, or your planting job and not have any overlap. And it's, it's very efficient. What happened this January is exactly what happened 20 plus years ago with auto track where farmers would say, I don't need the tractor to drive itself. I pride myself on driving it straight every single row, back and forth, 12 hours a day, every day. And then this auto, and then others were like, no, this is the greatest thing ever. I can focus on other tasks and I'm not tired at the end of the day and my neck doesn't hurt. So there was healthy debate 25 years ago when we launched, launched AutoTrack. The same thing happened in January where some are saying, you know, I can still drive my tractor. I don't know if I need autonomy. And that debate was natural and, and fun. And so uh, I would say, you know, if I step back for a second, autonomy has its place on the farm, right? If you look at uh, the last 20 to 30 years in precision farming, or, or it's really been trying to do more with less, right? For, for 100 years, farmers have been trying to do more with more, more horsepower, bigger machines, wider implements. And we're at a point where uh, labor challenges in agriculture are, are real and farmers have multiple challenges and things that they're trying to manage through a certain time of the year. So take harvest, for example, if I'm trying to harvest my, my corn crop, I also have an operator running a grain cart to get the grain from the combine uh, off the field to go put into a semi or truck to take it to the elevator. Meanwhile, in that narrow time of harvest season where you're racing against rain or snow to get the crop out, you also need to be fertilizing that soil and land to replenish what you've taken off of it so that the fertilizer is there that you till into the soil so that you can have a, a successful crop next year. And so now the labor constraint within that time period is very high. And so to be able to have autonomy come into the farm where you can focus your attention on other more important tasks. You can also be getting you know, twice the work done by managing a, a, an autonomous tractor from your phone. Yeah, efficiency is an interesting comment because as you look at it, um, you, know, you plant a crop, the crop grows um, and produces a certain income for the, for the farm and the farmer. But 
if it's not done correctly or there's a problem, you, you don't get a chance to rework it until next season. So the I would think um, the adoption and the willingness to adopt some of this technology that could help the farm be more efficient would just be sort of a no-brainer in that process. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, uh, technology that has value and provides a return on investment um, is always adopted quickly, especially in agriculture, because you only have that, that one job that year to get right. And if you don't get it right, you don't get a chance to change it again until next year, right? So if, if you or I woke up this morning and made a pot of coffee and we messed it up, we're going to dump out the pot of coffee and make a new one. Right. If I plant my crop my seeds too deep or I do it when the soil's too wet and it doesn't emerge right, you know, you have a chance now of impacting a significant amount of your, your yield and your return that year. And if you look over the course of, of, of a career in farming per se, you know, you've got 40 chances to, 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 to make, to be successful or not, right? Because you get that one crop per year. Um, if you think about the, you know, the greatest baseball players of all time, right? If, if you judge them only on their first 40 swings, <laughs> I mean, their career would be a lot, would be a lot different. And so farmers in that moment where they're racing against time, such as mother nature, uh, they really have to get it right. And that's where agriculture and technology like sensors and automation on the machine to produce better outcomes at scale, that's where it really comes in to help that farmer have peace of mind and get that job done right. You mentioned that some of this automation has been in play for 25 plus years. What are some of the challenges that you have seen in sort of telling the the deer story um, and sort of overcoming some of the preconceived notions of the companies and more importantly, telling some of the, the stories around this technology? Now, I, I love answering that question, Brian, right? Because that's the, that is the fun and excitement in my job when I <laughs> am with a group of people or I'm at an event or show where folks just don't really know deer that well. That's where I just love to tell them how technology is, impacts them, right? It is helping produce the food, the fuel, the fiber of the world. And, um, you know, it's not just that we're you know, doing tech and innovation in agriculture, we're doing it as well and as exciting. And the projects here are, you know, up against some of the, the, the best tech companies in the world, right, of how incredibly challenging problems are to solve. So uh, I, I really enjoy those conversations because, you know, if, again, if, if, you, if you walk into a room and the folks don't, aren't, aren't from an agricultural background or don't know deer well, they might say, oh, deer, the tractor company. And, and I always chuckle, right? Because farmers don't tractor, <laughs> you know, they don't just drive around in their tractor. The, the tractor has an implement or tool behind it that's doing a really important agronomic or science-based job. And so to, to talk about the fact that when that job happens, whether it's tilling up the soil, fertilizing the soil, planting those seeds, to be able to leverage artificial intelligence, uh, computer vision and machine learning to ensure that that agronomic job is being done precisely at scale, it's, it's a bit mind boggling, right? So if you just take a planter, for example, um, you know, an average size planter is say 24 rows wide, and you can have over 200 seeds per second out of every single row unit on that planter. 
And it's planting those seeds at exactly the same depth, exactly the same spacing between the seed. There's mechanisms on the front that are automated to clear the path to build the trench to put the seed in. So if, uh, if I gave you 10 seeds to go plant in your garden right now, Brian, and made you till up the soil, kind of clear it away, make the trench, put them in equal distances, we would have already planted many thousands and thousands of seeds at scale. And that's what's going to set the farmer up for success, that those seeds can all germinate at the same time and emerge from the soil at the same time to have a very consistent crop to, to care for throughout the year. Yeah, the consistency in the way in which the planting is done and all of those things I, I would see would have, I mean, it would be impossible not to see the benefit of that. But let me ask you this question, because like many of us who are using AI and technology, um, many people come back to us and say, that's great, but it's also displacing jobs. So what what is what is Deere's position in regards to the impacts that some of this technology has on displacing labor and some of the labor that would normally be on the farm? Yeah, um, it's it's a great question. Um, so so where, where your mind may initially go to the fact that it's displacing jobs, um, I can tell you that when I travel around the, the globe and in the U.S. and in Canada and other places, um, a consistent theme is that labor. Finding qualified labor in agriculture is a challenge. And, and part of that that we've been solving for is that by making the machines more efficient to do more work in a day, it, it's helped the farmer. Um, you know, if you just look at the, the census data, right, it's to no surprise that uh, the rural areas of, of the country, right, are decreasing in population as the, the urban areas grow. So this this, this trend isn't going to reverse in a big way anytime, anytime soon. So where we can have technology complement the challenges that, that farmers and farm families face, like bringing more automation to the farm and providing those more consistent outcomes, that's really the, the sweet spot is that it's complementing when the work needs to get done. And it's not a displacement of labor because it's such a, a challenge to find labor in those moments. Um, and, and when I say moments, right, it's very seasonably based, right? So um, you could, for example, take 60 days to plant your crop, but at some point you're going to sacrifice yield or output of that crop if you get past a date, right? Because the growing season now is shorter. So you're going to build a chance for more success if you can plant that crop within the, the two-week window optimally in the spring, while you're trying to fight the challenge of mother nature and weather and make decisions on, on where to, to plant, uh, which fields first. And, and, and it comes with more labor needed in those peak seasons uh, throughout the year when you're trying to plant the crop and nurture it and harvest it. So do you find that um, in the work that you're doing in regards to storytelling, um, is your focus more... Is it more on the equipment itself? Is it more on being a thought leader in regards to the way in which technology is being utilized? I'm just curious on the, the approach that you're taking in regards to your storytelling. Yeah, the, the answer to that, Brian, is actually all of the above, right? Because uh, we serve multiple audiences and multiple segments, right? So um, you do have trade media that, that write material and, and, and articles for farmers, right? That the farmer's gonna get a, a magazine or a paper or 
go onto their app and, and read about what's actually happening. And, and those stories become much more technology and equipment focused. Uh, they kind of dive into the details and the nuts and bolts, uh, no pun intended, of, of our, our products and, and uh, value. Um, then you also have segments that are like industry facing as well. And you have what, what we would call like the technology segment, right? So you've got outlets that serve um, readers in Silicon Valley and Austin and Chicago and other areas. And so we, we cater or curate the, the stories that we're telling for the objective of educating that audience. Interesting. I would say that, you know, uh, storytelling is is sort of a unique um, approach uh, from marketing. And, and many of us have moved to that approach to be able to get our message across multiple markets, as you described. I'm curious from your perspective, what, what's sort of the one piece of storytelling advice that you'd have for those lis- listeners who are listening to this, who are interested in sort of elevating or changing the company's brand perceptions? Yeah, I'd, I'd leave you. I'd kind of go two different directions on this one, Brian. Uh, you know, first and foremost, it's it's the objective or the audience. Like I said, if you if you walk into a room, you're going to have a vast number of different audiences. So you really need to define who do you want to talk to. Um, but before you can can get to that uh, level in your objective setting, you first have to figure out your purpose. And what's the purpose of telling the story? Because you and I could come up with a lot of cool stories this morning, I'm sure, to tell between the, the, the work you do at, at Panasonic and what I'm doing at Deer. And we could come up with a list of 10 or 20 stories to tell right now, I'm sure. But does anybody care? What's the, what's right. the so what? And if you uh, can answer that in your, your purpose first and then really define that audience, it's going to help you have a much more rich story to tell that's going to move the needle for, for your company in that area. Yeah, I would say we've learned very quickly that it's not about what we want to tell, it's what people want to hear us talk about. That that's really what what it boy it's all about relevance in in the world yep. that we live in. It so is. So John, I I you know, 13 years with Deer, it's a long time. I guess the question that that I would love to leave with is what what's some what's the most you know, fascinating thing that you've seen in your career there or, or unexpected uh, that you've seen out of deer during your time that you've been there? Oh, gosh, that is that's such a hard question, Brian. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm sincere when I say that uh, deer is a fun place to work. The, the people at deer are amazing. So there are so many great stories that I have working across different parts of the business over those years. Um, you know, it's really hard for me not to say that the opportunities I've had to meet farmers and John Deere dealers across the world as being, and, and I don't have one specific example, but, um, you know, when, when you grow up in a, um, in a, in a certain area, right, I, I grew up on a farm in Illinois and you, you start to think, okay, I, I don't really know anything that's further than two hours from where I grew up. And, and no other farm can be like the one I grew up on, right? It's probably totally different. But when you meet with farmers across the globe, you realize that they have something in common and it's around their passion, right? They are passionate people for the land, for providing livelihood and, and for doing right more than just what's happening on, on their ground, right? They're, they're feeding the world. And, and farmers are so much more alike across the globe than you would think. And those interactions are super cool and, and just unique. And, and I love every one of those I get to be on. Um, 
And, and then it's also hard not to answer that question and say that having the opportunity to reveal the first autonom fully autonomous tractor earlier this year, that was a pretty cool moment uh, for us. Uh, it's like you said, it's been a busy year. We've got uh, really, really great stories on some of the uh, AI and computer vision that we're, we're revealing and releasing to farmers. So uh, that autonomous tractor project was was a ton of fun. Yeah, when I saw that um, and I read the release on that, I, I, it kind of blew my mind because I think realistically, when you think of it from the automotive industry and we see autonomy and in, in vehicles coming up all the time, we've actually done and had conversations even around um, you know, some of the, the challenges that happen on that, but, but to see that in the, in the agricultural space and in farming and, and, you know, the use of geofencing, I think they're just use cases that normally you, you wouldn't necessarily expect to show up in that space. So I, I think it's just, I mean, kudos to, to you and, and the John Deere company for doing such a great job of getting that story out there, but also for, you know, being innovators and, and really changing the direction of the business and the way it is. I, I think it's fascinating and, you know, really appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much for being on today. Yeah. And, and the really cool part, Brian, is we're, we're just getting started, right? There are a lot of more cool things to come. So uh, we're, we're on a journey and it's a fun journey and I'm looking forward to continue to get to tell those stories. Yeah, 185 years, and your final comment is we're just getting started. That that's the, <laughs> probably the most encouraging uh, <laughs> thing that with it, that you could hear from a brand that has that legacy. So again, congratulations and thanks again for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Really, really appreciated it and enjoyed it. Before we sign off, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can help us grow by visiting our feed on iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. Or if you're listening on Spotify, be sure to hit follow. That's it for us. I'm Brian Rowley, and that was another episode of The Big Rethink. 